dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. I would never say this, Jessica, and say it because some people like to say, welcome to a special, very special edition of Blunt Business, but this is a special edition of Blunt Business. And I'm telling you this is because it's a very pressing subject we're talking about today. We've taken a couple different episodes where we have asked our guests about the 2018 hemp bill and the issues regarding the FDA. And I made mention of in previous episodes that was a May 31st meeting that came up where it was a public hearing, which lasted over nine hours, and various people from the cannabis industry, some great representatives of our industry, got to speak to you know, esteemed members of the Food and Drug Administration. So we're going to do an implementation roundtable. We're going to talk with several featured guests here that are going to be joining us throughout. And let's talk about the FDA and the hemp bill. Let's get everybody up to speed as to what's going on, give you proper context throughout. You're going to hear a lot of information. So if anything, you'll want to listen to this show again to make sure you know what everything's going on. You're going to get a lot of information today here on this program. The Food and Drug Law Institute reported that the Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, or otherwise known as the 2018 Farm Bill, marked a watershed in the regulation of cannabis in the United States. While the, co- the crop remains highly regulated, the law makes hemp production and distribution legal under federal law and distribution, excuse me, and it establishes a framework of shared oversight by federal, state, and Indian tribe authorities. This bill permits the interstate transfer of hemp products for commercial or other purposes. It requires compliance with a state, tribal, or USDA, Department of Agriculture, plan for hemp production. May 31st, I just mentioned, the FDA held a meeting that was supposed to address critical questions regarding the federal regulation of hemp when used in products regulated by the FDA, and more importantly, the use of cannabidiol, or CBD, in foods and dietary supplements. So with me to talk about this on our roundtable, I want to go ahead and welcome everybody to a partner with the firm, law firm Ackerman. That's Michelle Lee Flores Esquire. I have an emergency medicine physician by training who serves as a senior medical advisor for Elevate CBD, Dr. Murdoch Kalehi, and who's joined us here on Cannabis Radio, familiar voice, the founder of Hemp Ace and a board member for the United States Hemp Authority, the U.S. Hemp Authority, Joy Beckerman. Michelle, Dr. Murdoch, and Joy, thanks for joining us here on this roundtable. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Right, we're so glad to have you all. A great expert panel. Let's talk about what we've learned so far from the public hearing. Now, after the public hearing, Amy Abernathy, who is Principal Deputy Commissioner, and Lowell Schiller, who's Principal Associate Commissioner for Policy for the FDA, put out a statement following the public hearing. They said that in regards to listening to and learning from stakeholders, the magnitude of the issue was center stage where the agency provided stakeholders a platform to share feedback and experiences and to provide the agency with scientific data and other information related to cannabis and cannabis-derived compounds, including CBD. 
Perspectives were shared from supporters of cannabis and cannabis-derived products, as well as co- commenters who were concerned about potentially harmful products being widely available. So full spectrum of conversation to be had. In addition to the overall uncertainty about the safety of CBD, there were several significant takeaways from the hearing. Several commenters expressed a desire for a regulatory pathway to enable lawful marketing of cannabis-derived products, especially CBD in food and dietary supplements, with appropriate regulatory oversight that includes clear safety standards and strong enforcement. The need to support research evaluating the therapeutic effects of CBD, the need of consistent terminology related to these products, and the need for industry standards to address the potentially dangerous manufacturing quality issues with some of these products in the market today. So they benefited from the viewpoints that were made, long story short, and they have an open docket where they're taking more comments from the public open until July July 16th of this year. Now, information collected will assist their ongoing work, and this will allow them to articulate what we reliably know, where new research is needed, where gaps are identified, where we will be examining how additional research can be performed quickly and efficiently to address critical questions about the safety and effectiveness of CBD. So we have heard what the FDA says. I want to go ahead and start with Joy Beckerman. What are your thoughts following this meeting about what the people at the meeting spoke about and what the FDA has done to respond. Well, so many people did a really great job um, at that meeting because what the FDA is getting a lot of in terms of written comments, and as you may know, that comment period has been extended until July 16th, are opinions, strong feelings, and moving stories. But the FDA does not make decisions based on opinions, strong feelings, and moving stories. They're looking for scientific data specifically around safety. Um, we have, we, I'm also, by the way, the executive vice president of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable and president of the Hemp Industries Association we have met with um, through the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, the FDA, and they are not impressed right now. This was as early as a week and a half ago um, with, the, with the information they've received thus far. And so are right now asking for, um, and, and again, thank you prohibition to the lack of scientific data, right. but now have reached out and said, gee, to you large CBD companies, because we were there specifically for CBD. And as you know, this is re- regarding the entire body of cannabis and cannabis related compounds, but extracts are, are what the hemp industry is, is involved with right now. Um, is they said, you know what would really be helpful here is if we could get data from companies of every product ever sold, the count, the serving size, the milligrams, the COAs, and the complaint or adverse event um, history that goes along with uh, those products. And if we could aggregate that data, um, it would be very helpful because obviously there is a shortage where as comes specifically to cannabidiol um, with science. So the outcome is that we're, and now the Hemp Industries Association on behalf of the Roundtable, which is our advocacy partner, has reached out to our uh, membership as well. And that uh, data is being furiously collected now. So nope. Let's the end result right now of to that Dr. meeting is we need science. Let me go and, doc, uh, let me go, and go to Dr. Kalehi because I know one of the people that spoke, I, I've made mention of some of the people that spoke at the event, and when it comes to research and data, and one of the things that Dr. Sue Sisley came on, who was a great proponent, in my opinion, she mentioned the fact of you know being able to get access to that to to samples in order to go ahead and do the research, and that was an issue where could they do something where they could obtain flour from Canada in order to do proper 
studies for this because also it's a matter of that plus a matter of the cost it would take through taking that cultivation, taking those samples that will not be used for market. It's only being used for experimental resources. So, Dr. Clean, let me ask you about that. What are your thoughts about what can be done and what was pitched by the FDA in terms of giving us the room to have that and research? Absolutely. <clears throat> so one thing that came through at this meeting, a constant theme amongst everyone, there was a lot of disagreement regarding CBD and its utility and its safety and uh, its legality, but a common theme was this needs to be figured out. Because as you point out, the hemp bill or the farm bill uh, passed this year created certain legality, but then there's the FDA saying, no, we have regulations forbidding certain things. And this confusion does not just impact consumers, it impacts researchers. Because researchers have to operate under a lot of the same regulatory scrutiny, if not more so, uh, than consumers. And so researchers wanna know, hey, how can I pursue this? What am I allowed to do? Where can I get it? What can it be derived from? And there aren't really good objective standards. Early research is showing a lot of potential benefits of CBD, but we want to better understand those benefits what for what disease processes, for what groups, for what ages. But the only way to figure that out is to do better research, and the only way to do better research is to have better understanding and access of how CBD can be utilized in research. And so there's definitely a desire for that sort of clarity. There's also a desire to better understand the risks. There's In the early research, there's been possibly some minor risks in some people, but we those are really just mouse studies and we don't know if those are generalizable to humans. And the only way to find that out is to do better research. And the only way to do better research is to have good access to CBD for research. Let me go and talk to Michelle Flores, your cannabis legal expert, your national lawyer specializing in cannabis law with Ackerman. Now, one of the parts you talk about that you're able to go ahead and uh, address is the issue of compliance and quality and safety. Everything from safety, manufacturing, product quality, marketing, labeling, and the sale of products, uh, whether it's CBD or if it's cannabis. So talk to me about that end, about what the FDA's requirements are. I mean, it feels like they're taking they want the industry to do all the heavy lifting, and they just want to go and just sign off on and, and green light. Well, I mean, we we have to remember that the um, that that the farm bill has restrictions still in place, namely the definition of hemp as a cannabis plant containing less than 0.3 percent THC, and it's written into the farm bill. And with that in mind, there's certainly we need to make sure that there are minimum uh, that the minimum standards and the minimum uh, limits and requirements are maintained. So that's a really important aspect. It's also an important aspect for the consumer, but not just the consumer, but the impact that that these types of levels uh, can have and the contents of the CBD products on our society because the consumer then becomes the employee or the employer in businesses. And if somebody has too high a level of THC, they may be impaired. It could cause a safety concern within any of the environments that they're in. Fantastic. I love how we're getting started here. So that was the idea for the stakeholders on both sides of the issue. We're doing 
uh, special edition of Blunt Business, an FDA Hemp Bill Implementation Roundtable. Again, uh, my guests for the program are Michelle Lee Flores, partner with the law firm Ackerman, Dr. Murdoch Kalehi, emergency medicine physician by training, senior medical advisor for Elevate CBD, and Joy Beckerman, founder of Hemp Ace and board member of the U.S. Hemp Authority. We're back with all these wonderful guests and continue our roundtable in just a moment. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo. Register for an early bird discount now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth, cheap skin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z.com. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to our special episode. It's all talking about the Food and Drug Administration and their, the works they're trying to do to implement the 2018 hemp bill. And we're talking about what came from a May 31st public hearing and some of the comments that are being made. And a statement that was put out following that hearing by A.B. Abernathy, Principal Deputy Commissioner, and Lowell Schiller, Principal Associate Commissioner for Policy from the FDA, And they made mention, first of all, about listening to and learning from stakeholders. There's a second section they talked about, we're going to talk about now, in terms of preserving incentives for research and drug development. They said this, quote, We take to heart concerns from stakeholders about the challenges in conducting research with cannabis and CBD. We just mentioned that before the break. The FDA is committed to doing what we can to facilitate and preserve incentives for clinical research. We're also concerned that the widespread availability in products like foods and dietary supplements could reduce commercial incentives to study CBD for potential drug uses, which would be a loss of patients for patients. To conduct clinical research that could potentially lead to an approved new drug, Researchers need to submit an investigational new drug application to the FDA's Center for Drug Evaluation and Research. For use as an animal drug product, researchers would have to establish an investigational new animal drug, or INAD, file with the FDA's Center for Veterinary Medicine. You know, more paperwork and more, <laughs> just more paperwork and red tape, I feel like that's what it sounds like. That's just my opinion. Let me go and go to Dr. Clehy first. Uh, what do you see about this? and what the FDA said in terms of 
how they are reaching out to help out and what they're saying is their commitment to facilitating and preserving incentives for clinical research. Absolutely. So as you point out, the downside of figuring out what to do on the regulatory side is, is more paperwork. And so what we need to understand is when we're talking about CBD, are all CBD products treated equal? As we know, CBD can be derived from cannabis, but it can also be derived from hemp. Because it can be derived from cannabis, that's part of why it's receiving so much more regulatory attention. Yeah. In my opinion, <clears throat> in my perfect world, what we would see is <clears throat> regulation of CBD derived from cannabis fall under the guidelines that we see among other cannabis products, which you know has certain federal guidelines, has certain state-by-state -state guidelines. But the CBD derived from hemp would fall more under what was recently decided with the Farm Bill, and there'd be a lot more uh, liberty from a regulatory perspective because, as you point out, more, more paperwork just slows things down, and we want to see this research advance quickly. And if it becomes too highly regulated, we won't. Let me go ahead and direct this to Michelle next. Uh, have you had any chance to go and uh, look into, or have you had any clients come to you and approach about what the research that needs to be done and then the applications that need to be filled out to either the FDA Center for Drug Evaluation and Research or the Center for Veterinary Medicine? What have you learned about that so far? Well, I certainly can't disclose any kind of confidential of uh, client communications. But what I can do is certainly uh, there are ways, and I think to your point, is yes, there's paperwork, but there are there are individuals out there that can assist in this process. And with that in mind, uh, streamline the process, perhaps have uh, experience uh, with other folks that are uh, having to file or would like to file these types of, um, of um, you know, um, all of the different types of um, applications or forms, et cetera. And with that in mind, having someone that can uh, assist with that is a very good idea. It also takes a lot of burden off of the individuals and so that the individuals can get back to doing the business of their business, which is very important. Now, Joy, when I read that statement right there, we take the heart concerns from stakeholders, it tells me nothing. I don't know. I just, I mean, it's, it's just a nice sentiment, but I don't see the action. I still see the same way where I just said before, the paperwork, the red tape is being behooved on the cannabis industry as, and, and then the FDA can just go ahead and green light if they want. What do you think about what they responded to that way? Well, the underlying legal issue here when we talk about dietary supplements and food versus drugs is Section 201FF within the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. And I think that's an important piece to discuss here because the FDA and, and, and Section 201FF involves the IND preclusion, the investigational new drug preclusion. So once a substance that has never been approved as a food or a drug or a dietary supplement, someone puts in an application for an investigational new drug, it starts, for lack of a better expression, the clock ticking for now that substance or that compound, that property cannot be marketed as a dietary supplement or a food. It's a mechanical function of a section within the statute of the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Having said that, there is also a, uh, a 
provision within that statute that allows the FDA to use its authority to to break that own rule and to say, okay, we're actually going to go ahead and allow this to be sold as a drug and a dietary supplement and a food. And on December 20th, when the Farm Bill was signed and Commissioner Gottlieb, who's obviously no longer there now, it's in the sharp list, but came out and, and put forth his statement, a statement, by the way, that the FDA had been putting out on their webpage for four years, but it seemed like every Board of Health and Department of Health and State Ag Department was hearing it for the first time. It is a violation of federal law to market CBD as a dietary supplement or a food. It set off a cascade of lions and tigers and bears that we're still dealing with through the legislative session um, and so on and so forth. But he Im- he implied there that they were considering softening their position and using that authority. Is the industry going to wait around for them to do that? Um, we shall see. There are some legislative fixes that we have in the works. Obviously, Mitch McConnell, and as we like to say, you may have 99 problems with Mitch McConnell, but hemp ain't one. Um, <laughs> you know, just just spoke with the FDA yesterday, in fact, and met with Ned Sharpless himself, um, the commissioner. So we want things to speed up, but he will, I think, assist with some legislative fixes that will put a, a time stamp on these regulations so we don't have to wait these potentially three to six years if, if the FDA is left to its own devices. And having said that, that will not, if once that's done, then we can, con- then we can continue to market as we are and the good players are to Michelle's point, um, and this is what the U.S. Hemp Authority is, it has created the first deal through a third-party auditor uh, for good manufacturing practices and good agricultural practices in hemp because folks who are engaging in dietary supplements and food, whether you want to believe the FDA regulates it or not is up to you, but the reality is they do regulate dietary supplements in 21 CFR 111. They do regulate food, 21 CFR 117, and we say if you are engaged in those businesses, you need to be following those regulations, and we're going to work together to create a regulatory framework specific to hemp extract, which really is just taking the existing regs and adding in purity, potency, cannabinoid quantification, and okay. potential other other testing. Let me do this now. So let me go ahead and give context to what you just, you just referenced. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act of 1938, the federal law passed to establish quality standards for food, drugs, medical devices, and cosmetics manufactured and sold in the U.S. provides for federal oversight and enforcement of these standards. So this is an old existing rule, and the FDA has not necessarily uh, responded to that. So I want to direct this to Michelle. What Joy just brought up here, you know, how much of a red flag is that for those that might go through the application process? Is that something? Is that a red herring? Is that something that needs to be considered? That this might, might, might get almost get caught into a trap. Well, I certainly think that um, when we think about all of these different laws, certainly someone like myself, a lawyer, we always have to look at competing laws and overlapping. Mm-hmm. So I think it is important, although it feels like it may, as you said feel like a trap, it really is being quite aware and mindful of the various different um, overlaps that can come into play with a particular product. I think it's very important to keep that in mind. Again, back to the point of having individuals, um, you know, your subject matter experts helping you through these processes and making sure and thinking about, okay, well, we've checked that box off, but what about this, this, and this? Does this apply? What do we need to be sure to do? Or do we navigate and make a change so that we're not triggering uh, something to apply that we don't want to have apply to us? So again, 
What a great conversation. I really am enjoying this roundtable. We're going to go and continue. We have to go to one more break just to finish up, and then the rest of the show, we're just going to finish up and rent our FDA Hemp Bill Implementation Roundtable. Again, I'm here with, from Ackerman, Michelle Lee Flores, Dr. Murlock Kalehi, and Joy Beckerman. We're going to come back with more questions for them, and we'll continue our roundtable in just a moment. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Expo.com. The National Cannabis Industry Association's 6th Annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo returns to San Jose, California's McInerney Convention Center July 22nd through the 24th. Register today at CannabisBusinessSummit.com and take part in the most influential, award-winning cannabis conference and trade show hosted by the cannabis industry's only national trade association. NCIA's Cannabis Business Summit and Expo offers attendees three days of engagement and interactive programs. Arrive early so you can participate in our pre-conference workshops and off-site tours. Join hundreds upon hundreds of exhibitors and thousands upon thousands of attendees at NCIA's 6th Annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, July 22nd to the 24th in San Jose, California. Register today at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. That's CannabisBusinessSummit.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to the special edition of Blunt Business. We've been talking about the FDA and the implementation of the hemp bill. So the bill's been passed, but the FDA is asking for a lot of the cannabis industry in order to implement. And we're going to come up now in terms of the time frame we're looking at for full implementation and what are some of the uh, ramifications, what are the factors that need to be addressed in order for the FDA to move forward with this implementation. So they've been taking you know, information from the public, and that's what we've gotten so far. And again, I'm here with Michelle Lee Flores, Esquire, partner with the law firm Ackerman. Dr. Murdoch Kalehi, emergency medicine physician by training, serves as medical senior medical advisor for Elevate CBD. Joy Beckerman, founder of Hemp Base and board member of the U.S. Hemp Authority. So now we've been talking about this FDA statement. There's one other thing I want to bring up from this. They talk about paving the way for regulatory clarity. 
They said this, quote, while the agency continues to believe that the drug approval process is the best way to ensure the safety of new drugs, including those made with CBD, the agency is committed to evaluating the regulatory frameworks of non-drug uses, including products marketed as foods and dietary supplements. We remain steadfast in our effort to obtain research, data, and other safety and public health input to inform our approach and to address consumer access in a way that protects public health, maintains incentives and for cannabis drug development, and creates a robust administrative record needed to support the initiation of any rulemaking. As we learn more, we'll continue to update the public about our path forward and provide information that is based on sound science and data. Dr. Kalia, I'll direct to you first. Um, what they're asking for in the drug approval process and the, the, the kind of work that has to be done to make this work, whether it is for drug use or non-drug use, what are your thoughts on what they mentioned about that and their just as they want to address on both sides? Well, frankly, I, I think it's a bit of a chicken in the egg here because, you know, they want a lot more research to help decide whether to treat it as a drug, to treat it as a supplement. But the, the level of research that they're seeking is really already the level that we typically see um, in research on drugs. Um, so it's, it's, it's like they've already indicated, well, we're treating this, we want to get the information, the level of information that we typically see for drugs, because there's already far more research on CBD than there are for most supplements in general. So to want even a, a lot more data and a lot more research to help make this opinion is already implying treating it like a drug. And so I, I find it questionable for them to want a lot more information than that, whether to then decide to treat it like a supplement since they're already then asking for such robust information far more than they typically ask for for supplements. Joy, talk to me about the fact that the FDA is just offering to oversee, but they're not offering any funding. They're not offering any particular support or resources. It's a dependent upon the industry to privately fund research and procure whatever kind of, of content they need in order to be able to do the research themselves. So they have to be able to go through all these hoops in order to get that regulatory clarity for the FDA. What are you hearing about from the research end about what's being done to be able to get the research there? I know there's some universities that help out. There are some other possible public uh, funding that's out there, but what does it look like on your end from what you see to create the research and make it possible to comply with the FDA? Well, there's so much excitement around uh, doing this research, around this, frankly, general wellness and healthcare revolution that we're enjoying on top of an industrial and agricultural revolution. I, I do want to also first say that we believe where the FDA is going is not making a choice, and I'll get to your research in a second, sure, of sure. drugs or supplements or food, that it's about unfortunately, and it's a term that I think GW Pharmaceuticals started and the industry has sort of taken it just because it makes sense to call it swim lanes. And that will be level. That was what we believe. And when Commissioner Gottlieb came out on December 20th and talked about conditions and spoke before in his congressional testimony and talked about using that authority that I discussed about being able to break its own rule and allow something that has been approved as a, as a new drug to also go ahead despite Section 201 FF3 be to be marketed as a dietary supplement of food and that the swim lanes would be this would be the limit for food if it's going to be it would be considered food this is the limit for uh, the milligrams of CBD if it's for dietary supplements this would be the limit for milligrams of, of CBD and if it would be drugs this would be the limit and that's actually what we're trying to 
figure out right now is what might those levels be. And that's the research that the industry as a whole is working on um, right now, just as a, as a common goal. But other than that, absolutely, this tremendous energy, particularly in our institutions of, of uh, higher education, Rutgers, Cornell, SUNY, uh, University of Kentucky, Colorado State University. There is so much research being done. And once we'd let, we let, with these, with these removal of legal barriers, we are now letting American ingenuity and the American people have at this promising compound. And, and it is a shared responsibility among all of us. But yes, it is up to the industry and it is up to our academic institutions to deliver on the promise um, of this very uh, effective pro- and safe property within the cannabis plant. Michelle, let's talk from the legal front. Talk to me about the obstacles or kind of snags that can be done in order to legally obtain the the flower or whatever kind of product needs to be done in order to do the research, securing the funding, and being able to get the research environment uh, prepped and uh, compliant with any standards that are going to be met for, that are going to be respected of by the FDA. Well, there's, I mean, it certainly is um, a trap for a trap for the uh, for individuals that are not informed, and I think that that's one of the things that we need to be sure and, and be be aware of, and always keep in mind that although there are lots of obstacles, it's not something that isn't able to be done. And with that in mind, making sure that you have. Um, you know, the lawyers are known for having lists and, and checklists and what have you. It really is getting a well thought out plan and then executing on those plans as to all of the different hoops you have to jump through. Now, I am going to take a little bit from the other side. I mean, obviously, there are, we've heard from our end, from the industry end of what's being said. But now I'm going to have to take a little bit from... Oh, I have to speak from the mainstream media. That's, I'm not enjoying this, but <laughs> Time Magazine reported this <laughs> when they reported about the meeting and the whole issue with the FDA and the hemp bill. They reported the quote, the politics seem to be lining up behind it too. Now, but this is good promising information. The farm lobby has been making its case some two-thirds of U.S. hemp farming is in service of CBD, and both houses of Congress have issued letters telling the FDA it needs to change its approach to regulating the substance, given that the marketplace has already exploded. End quote. I, I, I like that point. Now, I'll direct this to Joy. What do you think the FDA do? What do you think the FDA does not fall more in favor of what legislation is allowed? Obviously, legislators are ahead of the game. The FDA is just trying to. I feel like they're trying to kind of bury this down and boggle down the industry from moving forward because the hemp bill was not what they wanted, I guess. It doesn't feel like it, in my opinion. And they're trying to, you know, slow walk the process. I, I'm i going to go out on a limb here and say I'm not taking it all that personally. The FDA, with all due respect, is a is a menace and a bureaucratic nightmare for everything, particularly yeah. dietary supplements not just hemp or cannabis. So I don't feel particularly picked on here. In fact, they have such a horrible track record for their ridiculous bureaucracy on top of the big pharma being in their back pocket that we we were well-armed going into this and knew what we were dealing with, which is why we're already dealing with legislative fixes in terms of in terms of forcing their hand as opposed to waiting around for them. But, but again, I don't feel like this is, they're treating 
Hamas any differently than they treat the rest of the dietary supplement world. They are a, a menace of a bureaucracy when it comes to doing anything timely or in a reasonable way. Um, so all we can do is comply, comply, uh, just like all of the other uh, all of the other industries regulated by the FDA: food, drugs, cosmetics. So now, uh, Dr. Kalehi. One of the issues I've talked about here on the program is the issues of the proper labeling and what is being what what facts are being founded, and they are uh, medically sound. I, I guess that they are authorized. The FDA has approved the messaging that is putting on the labeling of certain dietary supplements. Um, again, where the legislators are just saying, "Let's just get this done. Let's go ahead and you know let's get the ball rolling." What are you seeing as the issues when it comes to the proper labeling, labeling into dietary supplements and why the FTAs, again, I feel like it's slow walking this. Well, I, I think it's the, the FDA's natural state to, to slow walk. I, I, I don't think they're intentionally being any slower here than they typically are. It, it, it's just their, their process. Um, uh, though there may have been some contribution by a lot of the confusion and stigma around uh, CBD as, compared to cannabis as a whole or confusing it with, um, with, with THC. And there's just a lot of education happening. In terms of uh, you know, the FDA's process around claims, you know, CBD, like so many supplements, um, has now a lot of possible associations and a lot of possible benefits. Um, I'd say CBD has more research uh, than a lot of supplements. And so with all of these benefits, whether it be treating pain, inflammation, improving mood, addressing insomnia, I, I think the FDA is nervous about you know so many potential claims uh, with, with a substance, especially one that is peripherally re related to cannabis again, because that's that's one of its possible derivations. So I think the FDA is now clearing up some of its confusion, and with that is going to do its usual slow walk that it does with so many other things. But I don't think from here on, I don't think that slow walk will be necessarily that far out of proportion to what we typically see. Now, Michelle. Is there anything you've done you think of on a legal front when something like, I mean, I know this sounds extreme, but like a class action lawsuit to expedite the process? Would legal action help in any way trying to get the FDA to move forward? That's interesting because um, it would probably be some form of a declaratory relief action re okay. requesting uh, something uh, to be uh, ordered or, you know, in, in some way. Uh, to speed something up, but what I, but what I think is important to remember is agencies such as the FDA and those types of administrative uh, behemoths are really I liken them a lot to a huge ocean liner. It takes some time to move that ocean liner, especially if what you're doing is turning it around and seeing okay, uh, there's a new. There's, there's something new in town and we're going to go towards that. That's really what I've been seeing as CBD is. And, and it's not unusual for law to take time to catch up to technology. And so 
what I've seen uh, in the CBD arena is it's been, it exploded. Uh, I was also likening it to like the gold rush. Um, and, and it's all of a sudden it's everywhere. And I think to um, the doctor's point, I do think that it is important. What's happening now is education because when cannabis uh, was first uh, being um, legalized, for medicinal use, uh, I would often say it's not your stinky joint anymore. We've got to see that there are some some real benefits to it. And now CBD is even more removed from that concept of you know a stinky joint. And and with that in mind, being educated, educating oneself, educating other people, understanding the differences and how far removed it is and the benefits that can be out there, I think are important, but it does take time. It does take time. And that ocean liner is going to take some time to turn around. I'm not defending anyone or, you know, um, supporting anyone. I'm just saying that it does take time. And sometimes things have to catch up to where we are in our society. So, Maybe we can give the FDA the benefit and, of the and doubt. And we got, and we just have to go ahead and say too that that there's a lot of health benefit that comes from those uh, from inhaling cannabis as well. So I just the stinky joint thing was a little oh gosh. <laughs> there's plenty of benefit. Oh, oh, that no, come, no. My joint, my joints don't stink. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean, like from the you know from the 60s and the 70s there's this concept out there i think there's a lot of people that have a stigma it's absolutely it's not that you know it's not that anymore we need to we are no we're not in the 60s and 70s anymore we're not you know that's not what it is anymore let's everybody move forward it's 2019 so in no way did i mean Yeah. yeah i i really am trying to say there is should not be that stigma associated with it anymore. We could go on for but that subject very for good hours and me. hours. Let me go and go into one other point <laughs> because we wrap this up here. Uh, Politico.com, they wrote that, now this is the FDA, I give, this is their way of saying, here's the benefit of the doubt. The FDA can do, we can do things, we actually are active here, because the FDA did remind Congress that there was already one approved product containing CBD, and let me mention what that is, if people don't know it already, it's uh, called, uh, how do I say it? Epidiolex. Epidiolex. Okay. It's already been approved. It's used to treat uh, two rare and serious forms of epilepsy. You need to get a doctor's prescription to get the medication. It does contain a much higher dose of CBD than what people could typically get from the oils sold online or in dispensaries or markets. This is from a report from NPR. Uh, Clinical trials of Epidiolex found that the high dose of CBD was generally safe, but that it did cause side effects in some people, including lethargy and gastrointestinal distress. The FDA also pointed concerns about possible liver injury. so according to this, in the what regular said in the Federal Register notice, they said it's a potentially serious risk that can be managed when the product is taken under medical supervision in accordance with the FDA-approved labeling for the product, but it is less clear how this risk might be managed if this substance is used far more widely without medical supervision. So, Joy, I'll point this to you. Sounds like a cop-out to me. What do you think? You know, and, and also to be clear, of course, Epidiolex 
although the CBD molecule is the CBD molecule, no matter whether it comes from legal hemp or legal marijuana, medical cannabis, but that was derived from marijuana and it is a pure isolate form. And I think we do need to start to, I'm, I'm surprised between all four of us that we haven't actually discussed that sort of deep issue of isolate versus a full spectrum hemp extract or hemp extract. Um, and so indeed in very high doses of an isolated molecule, um, which keep in mind, most of the industry is dealing with a hemp extract, a botanical extract, as opposed to this pharmaceutical uh, molecule in very high doses, um, certainly. But to put it in perspective, and I've just pulled up this email um, from Dr. Blair, who is the medical advisor to Elixinol, because there was a recent article about this liver toxicity. And his answer to that was, how safe is Tylenol? Um, some of these studies are, you know, they, they are so, Tylenol has such more science of the intense liver toxicity that it causes at, at much smaller doses. So again, it is a picking and choosing. It's the saying, okay, now we're going to just look at this isolated pharmaceutical, more pharmaceutical form of, um, of this, of this property and then give it high doses and then come up with this liver toxicity. But let's compare that to Tylenol. Um, it, it's, it's nowhere reaches that level. So um, it's just, it's interesting for them to go ahead and use that, uh, but we're going to go ahead and, and provide them with information about how it is safe and how we wouldn't like those are pharmaceutical doses uh, that they're discussing, not what we would consider in the dietary supplement or food world. Now, Dr. Kaleo, director to you now, there was a, one thing that was said uh, during the meeting, a couple of things were said uh, that NPR reported on. One was that it said that, quote, we're really in the infancy of understanding the physiological effects of cannabidiol right now. This is from Ziva Cooper, research director for the UCLA Cannabis Research Initiative. That's not very helpful. I think I've seen quite a bit of, maybe not in the United States necessarily, but I think I've seen a lot of different research that's out there. It's just still, it's probably still underway, or there's information that's not been completely public. And, you know, there's probably some things where it comes down to the perception that will be brought once these trials are brought to, to light. What do you know about the, the research, the amount of research that's being done, and is it really in the infancy, you think? I completely agree with you and disagree with that statement. Uh, I do not think it's in its infancy. Thank the you. level Thank of research is well beyond infancy. I suppose you could call it adolescent, um, So, because <laughs> certainly not as mature as, uh, I mean, some well-established medications or things that have been around for 50 years, but... I mean, I've seen hundreds, maybe thousands of research papers around CBD. And in terms of safety, I mean, you mentioned about the, you know, compared to Tylenol, um, it, it, we haven't really seen any greater risks. And this is absolutely true, not only in the research, but also, you know, I, in my clinical practice, I, I see patients in now, you know, 10 years and probably 100,000 patients, I have yet to see anyone have a complication of CBD, uh, not once. And, and I think that says something. And, and in terms of adverse events, I've yet to see a research study showing significant adverse events. At most, this mild elevation in liver enzymes in a fraction of people, but not actually liver damage. Uh, no studies ever shown that. So um, I, I, I agree. There is a lot, of, a lot of data out there, and that data is so far is pretty reassuring. 
Okay, now Michelle. And you know, I just oh, go I've ahead, got sorry. these last two these two sentences that I found just in case you want to edit them in, Brasco, because I didn't want there was so much math to that email that I was I just confused the the listeners and my own self, frankly. Okay. But there are two sentences here that kind of drive it home this this comparison of epidiolics to Tylenol, which is such a great sort of de- demonstration. And so I wonder if I could just say those two sentences and you could decide if you want to use them. Thank you, brother. Okay. And thank you, guests. I really appreciate it, M- Michelle and Doctor. Um, in human studies of epidiolics, human trials there have also seen elevation of liver function tests at 50 milligrams per kilogram, but no injuries. And keep in mind, we're talking about per kilogram of human weight. So 50 milligrams per kilogram of human weight, but no injuries. Having said that, 50 milligrams per kilogram is still five times the epidiolic starting dose, which is 10 milligrams per day uh, per kilogram of human weight. So for a 70 kilogram man, that dose would be 3,500 milligrams. When we compare that with Tylenol, Tylenol liver toxicity occurs at 4,000 milligrams per day over time found in just eight extra strength tablets. So Tylenol appears to be far more dangerous for liver injury than cannabidiol. Michelle, I want to talk to you about this next because of the fact that, let's talk about the company that created the, the this drug, uh, GW Pharmaceuticals. And you know, they're doing very well when it comes to their stocks, when it comes to their things. Why is it they were able to get around the red tape to get this product out? What is it that they have that the other companies out there, you had a pharmaceutical company out of Britain able to make this product, a high potency product, as Joyce was mentioning, they were able to get ahead of the game. Why is that? Um... Grit and well, determination, I, I, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say all of this is speculation because yes. I am a lawyer and I've got to, you know, cover myself here. But I would say, uh, being on the cutting edge, the 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 purpose for which uh, it was originally made has a is a very soft spot. Um, and, and with that in mind, things sometimes get fast tracked when we're talking about children and we're talking right. about their health. And so with that in mind, you know, there, there are times where things can, uh, uh be, uh, advanced, uh, quicker than one might normally see. But I do think, uh, you know, to, to Joy's point, I think that it, there, are, there is determination as well. I mean, I do think that there is uh, ways in which um, individuals, you know, true grit um, um, and persistence can also help in this process. So it's probably a combination of a variety of things, I guess the short answer is. And some of our nations, by the way, founders of the cannabis movement and some of our more famous doctors, Dr. Ethan Rousseau, uh, Don Wirtschafter, an attorney, uh, and also Robert C. Clark, an incredible academic uh, who wrote Cannabis Evolution and Ethnobotany, they they were part of GW um, in the beginning. I want you to know this wasn't some evil pharmaceutical company. Okay. It was people who really wanted to deliver. It has become that way, absolutely. None of them are involved in the company. They haven't been involved in the day-to-day operations of that. 
that company for years. Trust me on that, brother mm-hmm. um, and sister. Uh, but they, but the, but the impetus was there for them to deliver. They wanted to get this medicine out to the people and whatever it took, which was money and research. So it, there was a, a, a tremendous foundation there. Uh, it has turned into something else. And having said that, for so many people, when that drug was approved uh, last June, you know, people were unhappy about it. But at the same time, there were folks with children suffering from those conditions that were waiting on with bated breath, watching their children slowly die every day through these seizures for, to get access to that medicine. And they do have access to that medicine. Of course, it's $35,000 a year. But in any event, just it, it's an interesting revolution we're dealing with. So many sides to it. And then just so, as a caveat to all this when it comes to GW Pharmaceuticals, thank you for the clarity and the context there, Joy. Uh, so Wall Street's looking for positivity from GWPH. Their second quarter earnings report's coming up. The consensus estimate is that they're calling for quarterly revenue of $63.37 million, up 1,731.5% from last year, year to year. So, you know, that tells you everything about the importance of the FDA allowing the approval of this drug and why everybody is clamoring to get on top of that because they see, you know, it's a, it is a profit thing, but also it's a matter of it's supporting the industry and to, and to support patients. And for those that want to be able to get access, uh, whether it is food or dietary supplements, obviously we see the money behind this. I can somewhat understand why the FDA would be so hesitant and slow walk everything and be really, really sluggish when it comes to what they're doing with the implementation. But, I mean, here's the thing. That's why this bill got passed. The legislators see it. The industry sees it. There's quite a few people on the other side that see it. But we're getting this right now. It's it's a bit of a roadblock. And it's something that I... I'm concerned about and this is why we have to continue to have this conversation and that I implore people if they're listening in if they get a chance you know we this episode will run after the July 17th date will end so just keep an eye out if there's another public meeting that's allowed or any other access to the FDA by all means bang on their doors get the get to them and tell them listen we have the research we have the means we have all that's necessary and you know it's also upon the industry to make sure that all that whatever is asked for in terms of compliance of the fda that we have it ready and we say listen we're waiting on you what's going on here let's get things moving you know because i mean reading some things where they were talking about it might take up to two years for the full implementation to happen but you know we'll up have to, to six even yeah exactly that's just it's ridiculous it can't be i mean mm-hmm. even let even congress doesn't think that long but you know, that's where we're, we'll have a wait and see approach. We definitely want to continue this conversation. This is definitely not going to go away. In the meantime, I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us here on the program. So, again, I've been joined by uh, Michelle Lee Flores, partner with the law firm Ackerman, Dr. Murdoch Kalehi, emergency medicine physician by training, senior medical advisor for Elevate CBD, Joy Beckerman, founder of Hemp Ace, and board renter of the U.S. Hemp Authority. I want to take just a minute to let each one of you go ahead and uh, take a point to talk about what you're doing and how people can reach out and learn more from each one of you. Uh, first, let me have Michelle take that first. Uh, yes, uh, happy to uh, be available to anyone who has any questions. If I can be of assistance, I can be reached at uh, Ackerman.com, Michelle.Flores at A-K-E-R-M-A-N.com. 
And uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. It's been even more enlightening uh, in preparing for it as well as hearing uh, the wonderful guests you have on. So thank you. Absolutely. Now, Joy, let me go ahead and give you that opportunity as well. Oh, thank you so much. I So I am an expert witness and, and legal support and consultant, par, senior paralegal. That's what Hemp Ace International is. Having said that, I only do consulting now with oil seed and fiber varieties because I'm also the, and that's Hemp Ace dot com hempace.com uh for an expert witness in in all forms of of hemp but in terms of the consulting just oil seed and fiber because i'm also the uh, regulatory officer and industry liaison for elixinol which is uh probably arguably the fifth largest cbd company in the world in 43 countries so they have my brain for extracts in that regard but engaging in the process in grasco you're such an advocate and such an activist thank you for using this valuable platform to get people to engage so it's my nonprofit work that that really drives uh, me and gives me the most reward and joy in my life, uh, which is all pro bono. And that is, you know, please check out the U.S. Hemp Authority. We want to learn about what that seal means. We've created a consumer-facing seal, just very rigorous standards. We're in version 2.0 now um, that will show folks on the shelf, this is quality assured, this is safe, what it says on the label is what is in this bottle and it's sourced from legal hemp. That's what the U.S. Hemp Authority seal is. And you can go to the certified companies list there to see what companies have already been certified and there's more coming in all the way. And and, jo- and I heard you say too, Brasco, that the bill was passed, you know, essentially for CBD, but it was passed for all of hemp, which of right. course is paper, textiles, nutrition, bioplastics, industrial sealants and coatings. Uh, you know, somebody stopped me. So get involved and and join the Hemp Industries Association to plug in if you're interested in getting real vetted information regarding all forms um, of hemp and all of those various industries, particularly around hemp extract. And and the best way to engage also is our advocacy partner, which is hempsupporter.com. That's hempsupporter.com. Excellent action issues there, um, action items, and to sign up for that email because when we do need you to engage, you'll get that email and we'll make, give you all the tools to engage very quickly. And, and it's, it was really my honor to be able to be on the panel with each of you. And, and Brasco, thank you so much again. Oh, my pleasure. Always always glad to have you on, Joy. And again, the website for the Hemp Authority thank is you. ushempauthority.org. Learn about the certification program. And if you want to learn about the certification, the uh, certified seals for hemp growers and processors, uh, Please go ahead and direct yourself to the interview I did with Mariel Weintraub, who directs the U.S. Hemp Authority. I had a great conversation about that. You can go and look for that episode. Uh, just go scroll back a couple of past episodes, and you'll find that through more context and clarity. And now, uh, Dr. Kalehi, let me go ahead and wrap up with you. Yes. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a senior medical advisor with Elevate Hemp. Uh, and so that's how I can be reached or contacted to learn more because Elevate Hemp offers a suite of hemp products, the largest portfolio of hemp products ranging from oral to topical to lozenge to dissolvable. And what they make sure to do is validate um, their products, continually testing for purity, uh, both in terms of the CBD, it's a full spectrum hemp extract, and also ensure that there's no, no impurities uh, with the product. Fantastic. Again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for being here on Bump Business. We're going to go and run. We're already out of time. Uh, so, again, find past episodes, and we'll continue to have this conversation future episodes. Stay tuned for that. So, remember, find past episodes of Bump Business. Go to CannabisRadio.com. Subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you all for listening, and thanks for joining us. 
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.